Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ayo, welcome into the CHGO White Sox podcast presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to two thousand dollars welcome into studio a of our chgo offices here in the west loop of chicago i'm sean anderson the host of the chgo white Sox podcast follow me on twitter at sean underscore w underscore anderson alongside me is the full chgo white Sox crew we got vinnie duber on the far left you can follow him on twitter at vinnie duber he's our chgo white Sox beat writer and the man in the middle is herb lawrence hello he's our chgo white Sox community leader and repping the braves today huh it's clean hat today. Oh, just it was just clean. Um, it's the determination for her. Roger's hat was kind of dirty. All right, so uh, her got in the dishwasher. Does that work? Top rack. If you do the top rack only uh, setting, yeah, it works. Do does dr- it work for? Does it work for all hats or just the uh, fitted? Just the the nice. Uh, oh, I haven't regular ones. Yeah, I haven't done it for anything else but fitted hats. But I, whenever you put them in the actual washer or dryer, Rex they never the they never yeah come back right. But I will say this for the kind of hats that me and Sean like. You can put those in the washing machine. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. I mean, maybe I'll try that. I've never washed any of my hats. So it's I think been it's done. There's some, There's something about, like, maybe you throw the rubber band around the... Yeah, the brim. throw the rubber band around the... Or, or, like, maybe you're supposed to put them in there without any other clothes in there or something. You got to look it up, but there's there's a way. I'm worried about my dishwasher because it's got, like, a steam function. So maybe I just steam the hat or, or like, do I not turn on the, the drying function? What you don't do if you're lazy... Don't go to Google and be like, how do I clean my hat? Because they're going to tell you to make like a mixture with soap. You've got to soak it overnight in one of those Home Depot buckets. It's madness. It's way too much work. There has to be technology that will allow us to do this better. I think a dishwasher pod will do the work, right? I would imagine. It'll smell lemony. You know? That's what, yeah. You. Do you use the one with lemon? No. That's the power of pine salt, baby. Absolutely. I I love the lemon. You know which dishwasher uh, powder I use? What do you use? Cascade. Because you're a White Sox fan, that's why. There you go. Uh, Today on the White Sox podcast, we will be talking about the next manager of the Chicago White Sox. we got some names leaking out that may or may not be interviewing for the next job. Vinny also has a recent piece up on allchgo.com about this topic. We'll get into one of the uh, main guys that has been reported to have an interview, Joe Espada. We'll also talk about the Astros and White Sox. I got some numbers from the 2019 uh, prospect list, and I just want to show you guys. I'm not sure what to make of it. Maybe we can parse something out of there. We were asked on Twitter, um, are the White Sox doing everything in their power to develop players the right way? Um, You know, We'll try to have that little discussion there. And then finally, or at least we'll start off with this, Herb. You really want to talk about A.J. Pruszynski, huh? I just love A.J. Pruszynski's play. Not necessarily the player in general. White Sox fans do love the guy and the player, but I was not a fan of his, but his, you know, knuckleheadness or his uh, heads-upness actually saved the White Sox in that ALCS. I just made up a word, Vinny, for you. Knuckleheadness, yeah. Knuckleheadness. I like that one, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) Knuckleheadery would perhaps have been preferred. <laughs> if you recall, the game before they had lost, I think Paul Bird pretty much shut down the White Sox, their first and only lo- loss in the postseason of 2005. And so 
if AJ strikes out right there, it's the bottom of the ninth. We're going to the 10th with a bullpen for the Angels is pretty strong. And the White Sox have just used Mark Burley for the whole game. And so they got to go to their pullman, which wasn't a problem, but it's also a roll of dice. Him going to first, and even though he struck out and Josh Paul caught that ball, was a heads-up play, which I think saved the White Sox because then you got the pinch runner, uh, Pablo Azuna, get on, and then Joe Creedy with the ending double. So I think this on this day, October 12th, 2005, we need to pay homage to A.J. Brzezinski for something that he did that helped the White Sox really propel them into the winning the World Series. And that started the five games in a row, the four games in a row of complete games by the White Sox starters. We, we like to do trivia on this uh, podcast. Do we remember the pitcher who, in that moment? Who was throwing that? Who threw the drop third strike? Uh, Kelvin Mescobar. Kelvin Mescobar. I was Very just nice. about to say we at at my at my former employer we did an entire I, I want to say it was like over an hour long podcast breaking down this one game. Oh really? We went back and we watched the game and we and literally the thing that sticks in my head the most is if you might remember Herb, Jared Washburn was supposed to start uh, one of those games for the Angels mm-hmm. and he was sick. He he had a, the flu or something mm-hmm. and. Joe Buck is explaining this on the broadcast. Like, oh, he they had to leave him back in Anaheim. He, he couldn't uh, come, uh, come on the plane with the team because he was sit, sick. So he got a commercial flight and flew, uh, and flew on over to Chicago just to be here. We did this podcast at, like, the height of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and to hear somebody saying that a sick Major League Baseball player was getting on just a regular old United flight and coming across the country blew my mind. And uh, that is the one thing that stuck with me from watching that game on replay, uh, you know, many, many years after the fact. But obviously, it, the thing, too, is that, like, all of that stuff that happened in that game happens in, like, a, the span of, like, a minute and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's the AJ play, uh, however Azuna gets to second base, and then... Uh, he stole second base. He stole second base, and then the Creedy hit, and boom, and then that's the game. Right. right. Yeah, and I like was thinking about the umpire. Do you remember who the umpire was? No. Doug Eddings. Oh, our guy. Yeah, Doug Eddings, who's turned into not a great umpire. Maybe he wasn't great back then either, but uh, he's had a couple games lately. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. I'll still have that fond memory about you, Doug Eddings, when you messed up that call in favor of the White Sox. But, you know, he's been turned into himself uh, not a great umpire. And I think Doug Eddings also called one of the either perfect game or no hitters the White Sox had. I know Eric Cooper called one of them for Mark Burley because he had the matching 56 number as the umpire as Mark Burley had his, on his jersey. But I'm sure Doug Eddings called one of those games and probably messed up a call or three. Well, real quick, you mentioned that it was a bad call. Is it a bad call? Oh, I mean, like it was a terrible call. Josh Paul caught the ball in the air, literally caught the ball. There was no drop third strike. Yeah, it was a terrible call. <laughs> I don't know. It I was an absolute horrible call. Like, and later on in the World Series, Jermaine Die act like he got hit by a pitch, but yeah. it hit right off the barrel. That those plays wouldn't happen today with the replay that we have now. But uh, you know, I'm glad it worked out for my team's favor. But I can call a spade a spade where he called a ball that wasn't a drop third a drop third and helped the White Sox win that game the only thing I could find on Doug Eddings and the White Sox is that back on June 22nd Doug Eddings missed a season high 29 calls in the Blue Jays White Sox game yeah with a cor- correct percentage of 86.6 percent so uh you're you're saying that his percentage would go down with the drop third calls uh strike yes he has just been consistently bad and I remember he did like the whole interview after and he had a I guess a pool reporter ask him questions and said you know did you see it and he was like no I I mean I saw what I saw and I heard I thought I heard the double tap and it didn't happen 
like literally if you look back at the replays, slow it down. Josh Paul has his thumb part of his glove underneath and on the ground, and that hits the the ball hits that in the glove and goes up. So it looks like the effect of hitting the ground, but it hits the meaty part of the glove. There you go. Um, and now, uh, looking back at yesterday's game for the Astros and Mariners, uh, Jordan Alvarez's walk-off home run had a win probability added of 91% because it was a walk-off home run. Uh, I know AJ, nobody likes the Astros, but that was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> also, Robbie Ray coming in to close wow. the game. That was awesome. Only that's It's so funny that you see that kind of stuff in the playoffs. After a team has so much success the entire season doing absolutely the opposite of that. <laughs> Why do that? Robbie Ray, we talk about these guys being uh, creatures of habit. And what are you going to do? Not only throw the starter out for a save, which the White Sox did in 2005. Shout out Mark Burley. But they had a uh, nice lead there. But and in the first game of the series. Too. And with runners on. <laughs> Like, what? You're putting, like, we see Liam Hendricks crumble with, like, guys on. Like, some players just can't pitch with guys on. And you're but, like, throwing- at the same time, like, people have become conditioned to watching playoff baseball that looks like this, too. That, like, yeah. had he brought in the reliever and that exact same thing happened, somebody been somebody would have been like, well, why didn't you bring in the best pitcher on your team? What are you doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, 100% somebody's <laughs> yep. going to say that. Yep. Seattle uh, radio's filled up with people saying, well, Robbie Ray's available. Why is he not pitching until Saturday? It gave me flashbacks of when Dylan Cease was warming up in the ninth inning of that Texas game where uh, Michael Kopech left and then Johnny Cueto came in and we were all like, oh, is Dylan Cease going to be used for the save here? was just warming up. He was just throwing a bullpen. Well, he was yeah. Mo- yeah, he was moved up. But it was weird seeing a, a player in the bullpen that wasn't getting uh, ready. Uh, but I just wanted to bring up uh, Jordan Alvarez with a 91% win probability added with that home run. Uh, AJ Pruszynski's drop third strike. 3% win percentage uh, added. So just that drop third strike gave the Sox that little bit of edge there. Um, and then that steal added 4% of win probability added. And then obviously Creedy uh, knocked it home and made it 100%. It was a great day. It was an awesome day. And uh, I'm very happy that I lived through that. But it was a blur. The 2005 playoffs, it was just win after win after win. And it really didn't get to enjoy necessarily all of it, how a team like kind of goes through the hardships and the – and the struggles, and then the uh, enjoyment. It was pretty much all enjoyment for the White Sox. I mean, there was a couple hard parts with the uh, uh, El Duque thing, but otherwise, shit was a breeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was well, I mean, the Jeff Blum game. I don't know if that one was a there breeze. Was, see, the we thing were was, up 2 and nothing at that time, too. <laughs> you, you White Sox fans are very spoiled because you you got you, you say it was a breeze, but it still had drama, right? It so did it was, have drama, it was, yeah. it was exciting, but it all worked out the way you wanted oh, it to it work was, out. Everything was perfect. There was no up and down. It was just a dramatic up and all the way up. <laughs> imagine if we were doing this post-game show in 2005 and the White Sox lose that first game in the ALCS oh. to the Angels. We would have had so many comments. Wayne. Clark, uh, Shy wow, Town. You guys are all getting Rusted, called out. All coming in here being like, blow it up. This Paul team Bird. sucks. Franchise. How did they lose to Paul right. Bird? <laughs> Another generic right hander. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, he doesn't even spell his name right. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, hopefully, I mean, that's what we were hoping for in 2022, that the White Sox would be able to turn it around. Uh, but in 2022, uh, things didn't go to plan. Tony La Russa wasn't able to finish out the season. And that's why we're talking about a managerial search. Um, so let's jump into this. Uh, Vinny has a recent article up at allchgo.com talking about what the White Sox are looking for in their next manager. We did get some insight into their process and their thought process. Um, what did the White Sox say they are looking for in their next manager? Well, again, I think I said this the day of the press conference. Conference, you know, it sounded exactly like the press conference from two years earlier when mm-hmm. uh, Rick Hahn laid out all the criteria uh, for the managerial job that went to Tony Larusa, who 
didn't really meet any of those criteria. But, um, you know, uh, Rick Hahn is confident that uh, things are going to go differently this time, and I guess we'll just have to wait and see uh, to see if he's right or not. Uh, I would tend to believe that it will go differently based on the way the last two years played out for the White Sox. But uh, in terms of those criteria, you're basically talking about somebody who has recent experience with a winning team. And, and that that's what it comes down to is the White Sox want to win. So, of course, they're going to try to find somebody who's done winning and done it in the environment in which the White Sox want to win, which is uh, the present-day state of Major League Baseball. I think that's probably the one thing that jumped out to so many people about the La Russa hire was, wait a minute, Rick Hahn just said they wanted recent winning experience, and this guy hasn't been in the dugout since 2011. Now, Tony La Russa was quick to remind us, and he was right in doing so, that he had not been just, you know, uh, staring at a blank wall for 10 years. He was uh, watching baseball and, and even part of winning uh, front offices like he was in Boston. But certainly, I think... Rick Hahn hammered home this time around. They want dugout experience from somebody who's been with a winning team recently. Uh, there are some other things that go with that. They, again, trumpeted great communication, which I think you get better answers when you talk to the players about that because they're the guys who are being communicated to on a regular basis. Um, they want somebody who knows how the game has evolved over the last decade or so. So, uh, you know, baseball, as as we well know, and hey, if you'll notice by watching that A.J. Pruszynski game again, like I had to do a couple of years back, <laughs> baseball's changed a lot just yes. since 2005. And I think uh, that to have somebody who knows that the buttons that they're going to push apply to today's game, which Tony La Russa, you know, built a Hall of Fame career on making decisions a certain way. And so it makes sense that he wouldn't want to get away from that, right? But there were plenty of times where that decision-making process did not really line up with the way that, that things are done in today's game. So um, I think you really got to look at uh, somebody who's who's got a resume full of teams that have been to the playoffs a whole bunch of times or have won the World Series. Uh, there are a few a little other extra things in there. It doesn't necessarily have to be a manager. And we're going to talk about Joe Espada, who's been a bench coach for a team that's had a lot of a lot of success on the field the last few years. Um, but uh, you know, in addition to that, the whole no White Sox DNA thing. I don't think other than Miguel Cairo, uh, you. Are, should expect them to see anybody who has been a part of this organization, either as a player or something else in the past. Well, you say, you bring that name up. Uh, when we go back to the 2020 search after they fired Rick Renteria, um, Willie Harris was reported to be one of the finalists. Um, he does have White Sox DNA. You watch the 2005 playoffs again for your old uh, your old employer. Uh, do we think Willie might be also an exception to that rule, along with Miguel Cairo, just because he's been a prior interviewee before? I don't know. I think that's them going to somebody they know, right? I mean, that's kind of... And, and it's definitely not to say that Willie has not earned a shot at these interviews because right. I believe that he has. Um, you know, certainly uh, uh, being part of a major league coaching staff for, for a few a couple of years now. And he had all that minor league managing experience with the White Sox organization. Mm -hmm. But I think really, if, if the last time around, this is what Rick said, we'd, oh, we'd like to get some more perspectives and stuff like that. The result just smacked him or whoever you want to say in the face with being the complete opposite of what that was. And I think he really hammered home, really emphasized that this time around they want to get new perspectives, get new ideas. And it doesn't mean that um, everybody they talk to is going to be hired, right? You right. only get one manager. But think of all the different ideas you can get in all the different uh, organizations you can learn about by talking to as many different people as possible. 
they have done things a certain way for the last many, many years. Ozzie Guillen, Robin Ventura, Rick Renneria, Tony La Russa. It's, it's been a long time since they have had a manager from outside of the organization. Uh, they would serve themselves well to mix um, the, the stuff that uh, Rick in the front office has done in building a roster over this rebuilding process with now getting new ideas that they can apply to that to try to get themselves over the hump. And I would ask the questions like, you know, when you guys are facing the White Sox, if you're hiring, if we're hiring you as the manager, how would you get us out? And would you do a good job of self-scouting uh, on our own roster? And so let that person give you the answer and say, you know, this is how the Houston Astros got the White Sox out. This is how the Yankees got you out. This is how the Boston Red Sox got the White Sox out. And they get some information, some intel from the other organizations that maybe this person is not fully aware of if you ask slick enough questions where you're just saying, hey, Aloy Jimenez is up with a runner on second and – um, what do you do on a 2-1 pitch to him? Well, Aloy likes to throw, swing at sliders a lot, so we're going to throw a slider on the outside edge, and usually Aloy will strike out. And we have this this uh, situation for Jose Abreu up and in. Sometimes we'll hit him. If we hit him, we hit him because he's pretty much the only power here on the White Sox. Kind of that type of information where they're giving you the book on how to get White Sox hitters out or how they attack White Sox pitchers, and then maybe you don't hire him. But you still got the intel out there. And as far as Willie Harris, the first point that Vinny brought up and what Rick Hahn brought up is recent world or championship experience on a championship caliber club. Cubs have not been that. So I think he's automatically out. And he's got the Sox DNA, which is also not that great. My friend, though, Willie Harris has that championship DNA because he's got a 2005 recent. ring. Um, <laughs> it, hey, it's it's championship experience. Uh, <laughs> we did get some clues, though, on who they might be interviewing. Uh, and this is coming from Jesse Rogers. White Sox are interviewing Astros bench coach Joe Espada in person today in Houston, and they've also reached out to Braves third base coach Ron Washington, among others. John Heyman was first tweeted about the uh, Sox Espada news. So we'll talk about Joe Espada a little bit later after the break, but Ron Washington, you mentioned the recent experience currently uh, with the Atlanta Braves right now as their third base coach. Ron, the former uh, manager of the Texas Rangers, Mm -hmm. uh, names also been floated out of Bruce Bochy and who else was the other name there? Uh, Mike Schilt. Bruce Bochy, Mike Schilt. That was Bob Nightingale's uh, uh, report the other day. And Ron Washington were the uh, three favorites, according to uh, Bob Nightingale. So those three have prior experience. Um, thinking of Wash, though, um, what would he bring to the Sox that you like? You're wearing the A's hat, so I'm asking you first. Braves. Braves. Keep reading uh, A and thinking it's an A's hat. Come on, Sean. I'm I mean, when he was <laughs> down in Texas, they went to two World Series. And, you know, they should have won one, you know, but, you know, they had the right wrong right fielder out there. He can get comfortable with that because they'll probably have the wrong right fielder out in 2023. So, yeah, there's people who speak the highest of praise for Ron Washington. All the people in Oakland, if you watch the movie Moneyball, he was one of the people who went with Scott Hattie or went with uh, Billy Bean to scout Scott Hattieberg. And the funny line of the movie was like, first base is not that hard. It's incredibly hard. And that's Wash saying that answer. He had his own struggles with substance abuse when he was a player. And so he can relate in a personal way where anybody who's having struggles since he had struggles and has worked himself way back up. Remember, on that team, Josh Hamilton was also there and he was having current problems with substance abuse and I wish him well in his uh travels going forward but you know he's gone back to that but watch while in Texas helped that man to you know live day by day 
to get sober, to stay sober. And I think Wash could relate to the today's player because he's in that Atlanta Braves clubhouse. Lots of Hispanic cats, lots of white cats, lots of black cats. Uh, culture is built in that whole clubhouse where they came from a team that had no aspirations like last year in, in the middle of 2021 and gathering players like Jock Peterson, gathering uh, Rosario and other players to come up and be part of a collective use unit, and they stayed together. Even though they lost their best player and Ronald Acuna Jr. for the year, they still won a World Series. Wash was part of that, and that's probably because of Brian Schnicker's great um, leadership, and he's learned under a lot of great managers too. I mean, Brian Schnicker has just won a championship. Uh, was it Art? I can't think of the guy. How? How? Art Howe in Oakland. So he knows the ways of how to uh, manage and also had a great record in Texas, even though it didn't end up well. Yeah, I think 664 to 611, so well above 500 for Wash in Texas. But even you mentioned uh, the, the Atlanta Braves last year. They had Freddie Freeman, who was there for over 10 years, 11 years as the cornerstone first baseman. Wash has seen you know, a cornerstone first baseman leave. If the White Sox do plan on leaving Jose, letting Jose Abreu go, uh, maybe he'd be able to give some guidance on what that, that experience is like. Um, but I do want to bring up age. Washington is 70. Um, Bruce Boshi 67. Mike Schilt's 54. So uh, I'm not too concerned about his age. But Tony being 78, Eight, I think no. he recently turned 78. So happy birthday, Tony. Um, is that a concern of hiring an older manager for this Sox team, Vinny, do you think? It shouldn't be. Um, I, I think the only reason that people would ever bring it up is in relation to the fact that Tony La Russa was just the manager. Um, I, I was, I mean, I think that there were very reasonable questions at the beginning of Tony's managerial tenure that you would ask of someone, not of his age, but of his own personal background and perhaps his age influenced that on his own personal background. But it's 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 ageist, in my opinion, to say you can't have that guy. He's 70-plus. Uh, I think you pick the guy who is the correct fit with this team regardless. Um, Tony did not end up being the correct fit, and I don't believe that it was just because of when his birthday was. Uh, I think that uh, there is something to be said for the energy that somebody of any age can bring. You know what I mean? There are guys who can fire up a clubhouse at age 60-something, at age 70-something. Uh, it, it, it doesn't have as much to do with that, in my opinion. That being said, oftentimes a hire of a position like this will be in response to the person who held the position before it. Mm -hmm. um, and... I, I think that if you were to hire somebody else who was in their 70s, if you're the White Sox, that is the first thing that the fans are going to react to. That doesn't mean it's a bad hire. And so they're going to make the hire that I think they think is the right hire. Um, but when it comes to how fans are going to react to that hire, it is undoubtedly going to be colored by the way that things just went with Tony La Russa. Yeah, and I don't think Ron Washington has any notable health issues uh, that have been made public, but at least Bruce Bochy uh, has had uh, multiple heart uh, 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 what's it called, procedures, uh, done uh, most recently back in 2015, but uh, he's also dealt with arrhythmia with his heart as well, so I do wonder if that plays into the factor of Bruce Bochy possibly returning to managing or not, uh, but they'll have to make that decision, and they'll obviously talk to those people and, and see how they feel. Um, Joe Madden, though, also older, 68. He's been in the news recently. He's going to be on the CHGO Cubs podcast tomorrow, which is pretty cool. They're going to go live at 120, so if you're looking for some baseball talk, you're listening for some Chicago baseball talk, Joe Madden will be on with the CHGO Cubs guys tomorrow 
tomorrow. But Joe Madden as uh, as a possible fill in here. Um, you know, prior managerial experience, prior winning experience long as well. Um, twenty sixteen isn't that long. long I mean, ago. what do we think? There was a report from that's Mike a long time ago. Then Bruce Bochy in twenty fourteen is a very long time ago. Right. Well, yeah, and you mentioned too, like you know, I the definitely wouldn't want him either. Idea about Tony like stepping away. Like it's not really about his age. It was about how long he was away from the game. Like uh, someone brought up, you know, why I really want Ozzy, and it's like, well, it makes sense. Like you know, you were a first grader when Ozzy won. You have you know Ozzy in in this certain light, and many people we saw this when Tony was hired, like back in eighty three. Like they were first graders, and Tony Larusa was like the coolest because he helped the White Sox win the AL Central Championship in in eighty three. Um, I just think that you know. The fact that it still goes with, you know, Tony was out for 10 years. Ozzy's been out for nine years. Like, I see that as a huge detriment to Ozzy Guillen's case as a, as a manager. Um, and that's, you know, it's not really an age thing with me. With Tony looking back at it, it was the absence of that game. So, um, Joe Madden, you know, was just recently a manager in, in L.A. Yeah, and I think that um, his comments were with uh, inside the clubhouse where he was pretty much not bemoaning analytics, but pretty much saying that it's taken over the game. When people are zigging, we need to zag. So he wants to go back to more of a gut game. He doesn't mind analytics, but also he thinks that the game has been inundated with way too much of the numbers instead of scouts, instead of uh, scouting reports, instead of gut feelings and things like that. I think it just goes against what the White Sox are looking for. What Rick Hahn said he was looking for. I don't know, even when they won the World Series, ask any Cub fan. They ask, actually act like Joe Mann was trying to lose the World Series for them. Ask any Cub fan. Man, he took Kyle Hendricks out after only one run. He was dealing with Cleveland. Take him out. John Lester comes in gives up immediate home run. Um, yeah, so with the managers don't matter that much type of uh, conversation, I don't know if he makes this team go to the next level, which we want, or just a guy that's a steadying force for the White Sox and allows the players to do their best. I don't think he's that anymore. I love his stories. I loved him when I was on the score and he would go on with Lawrence. I can listen to him talk all day long, but I don't know if he's the right manager for these 2023 White Sox team and the beyond years because I just know that he his he has a he has a time on all that motivational talk and it ends after a while and people start shutting that down and stop listening to Joe Madden. And I don't know if that word's got around to the rest of the league and it might, you know, end early with the White Sox. Well, and what I'll say too, I think this applies to Madden. It applies to Bochi. It applies to, to a lot of guys. The number one criteria for the White Sox might be winning. Uh, but guess what? Tony La Russa did an awful lot of winning. Right. I mean, the, 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 if, even if you didn't like the Tony La Russa hire and, and many White Sox fans did not, I don't think it was arguable that uh, Tony La Russa knew how to take teams to the World Series, yeah. knew how to win the World Series. He got three rings on his fingers. It didn't make it a successful hire. No. And uh, if 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 the guy who you brought in is supposed is one of the winningest managers of all time, and he couldn't get the job done, then obviously that's not the entire piece of the puzzle. And that's why Rick Hahn listed a bunch of different things that we right. should and are talking about. Um, but you know, Joe Madden, and Bruce Bochy. They've got rings on their fingers, but it doesn't mean that that's that that that's not the only thing you can point to. Because then every manager all the time would only be somebody who's won a World Series, and obviously that's not true. Right. So you know it needs to it needs to go in multiple directions. And listen, as I've said as I've said the last few days when we've been talking about this, of course they should interview Joe Madden. 
should interview Joe Madden. They should interview everybody right. mm-hmm. because that's that's how you accomplish what Rick said, which is getting fresh perspectives and fresh ideas. Joe Madden might not have the idea that sounds very good to them on the whole numbers front or using front office information, but I bet he's got some good ideas that they haven't uh, been exposed to on some other in some other areas. And if they hear that from him, they might go, "Oh, that's interesting. We might look into do something like that." Well, I think with this current regime of Kenny, um, Rick, and Jerry. I think Joe Madden works with those three. Like I, I think I took away what Lawrence Holmes took away. Um, he ended up interviewing Joe Madden, asked him about the White Sox job, um, and it just felt like Joe. Really, you, you mentioned the word inundate. Like he just didn't want too much information going to these players. Like it was more like you need to give them a nugget, and like this is where we think you can take strides. Because again, hitters are creatures of habit. They're not really going to listen to you, so you need to give them something that they can latch onto. Um, and that's what Joe was trying to say. It really felt like he wanted to be the one person who was giving the message and you mentioned you know the fact that like his message kind of wears out I think him coming and delivering that message to players uh, really helps Joe take that connection to the next level to be fair to Joe too 27 and 17 before they had like a crazy long losing streak this year that ended him getting uh, fired uh, so I mean he was winning a little bit well with and LA also this year. he was managing the Angels and the Angels have plenty of uh evidence that had that came before Joe Madden to show us that it's hard to take the angels to the playoffs right especially <laughs> when Mike Trout's hurt right. <laughs> um, you know if Mike Trout was healthy uh, they might have had more he success still hit there 40 home runs um, ridiculous yeah. yeah like the thing is is you know Joe Madden with this current front office I think could work I think that he has a, a good demeanor I think he's a very much the CEO type that we'd be looking for I just worry that they wouldn't be taking a step forward it would just be another comfortable hire where I think a guy like Joe Espada who we'll talk about right after this ad break um will push them to be different. He'll look at that five-man uh, R&D, like, man, perfect. <laughs> right. yeah. Don't there's even a, hire nobody else, man. There's five, five. guys I have and to And Shelly Duncan, man, perfect. Perfect <laughs> keep guy him, on my bench. He'll keep him on staff. It's easy. Uh, this football season, points bets bring you a better way to bet live on games. So tomorrow, when you are watching the Chicago football team play against the Washington football team, it means... That. Did, they cha- did they change their names to line up with Washington football team? <laughs> I don't know if we are allowed to say the nicknames. Yeah. I think the nicknames are copyrighted. That's a sweet say. Chicago football team hat you're wearing, Sean. That I, I agree. That is a great Chicago football team hat. Uh, but when you're watching that game tomorrow, you can place a live same-game parlay bet. You can bet on the next drive to be a touchdown and cash out your live second-half over bet. With points bet, you have access to more football markets than ever before, and you can build the live perfect same-game parlay by combining your favorite bets during the game, including spreads, totals, player props, and more. You can also choose the next outcome of the drive and next points uh, uh, with points bets lightning bets. I did this on Sunday night with Baltimore and Cincinnati. It's very fun on the fourth drive. You can guess if Justin Fields is going to lead the team to a touchdown. Maybe you're really being real pessimistic. Maybe you'll predict a punt. Maybe you're predicting an interception. It's a fun way to win money, and it's lightning fast. Um, and you could do that on the move or on the couch, but no matter what, when you're betting, do it live on PointsBet. Download the PointsBet app today and sign up with the code CHGO to get two or three bets up to $2,000. And if you or somebody you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBA for crisis counseling and referral services. And our next partner is Pins and Aces. They are the official golf apparel partner of CHGO. We love our Pins and Aces gear. Our guy Steven, our producer, gets tons of compliments on and off the course when he's rocking his Pins and Aces gear. What was and- the most recent compliment you received, Steven? People love the beer sleeve more than anything else. Do they? They love the beer sleeve. Because you could just, if you take out, like, I can't hit my three wood. I put the beer sleeve right in there. It fits in perfectly. Seven beers, good to go. Got the whole round going right there. It's innovative. Has anyone said, like, wow, that's an innovative beer sleeve? 
Not in those exact words, but that's the exact thought they're going for. These are the exact words I have. An innovative product <laughs> that allows you to store seven beers right inside your golf bag and keep those drinks cold the entire round. Also, Pins and Aces is a family-owned golf and apparel business. They make amazing polos, hats, golf bags, uh, and again, even the beer sleeve. So uh, this Christmas, this holiday season, could be a perfect gift for the golfer in your life uh, uh, for the 2023 season. So check out pinsandaces.com and use code CHGO to receive 15% off your first order, and you'll get free shipping. Again, when you use code CHGO, you'll get 15% off your first order and free shipping at pinsandaces.com. All right, let's get into Joe Espada. Joe Espada is currently the bench coach with the Houston Astros. He joined after the whole uh, cheating scandal, so we don't have to worry about a Carlos Beltran uh, thing here. Joe Espada joined in 2018. Replaced was, Alex Cora, the now manager of the Boston Red Sox. There you go. Uh, and who has also had his own cheating so scandal as well. Yes. Um, Got but, his uh, job back, though. Uh, yes, he did. Uh, <laughs> Joe Espada was with the Astros from 2018 to currently. Uh, before that, he was with the Yankees from 2015 to 2017. And then before that, uh, he was with the Marlins from 2010 to 2013. Prior to that, he was in the minor leagues and has worked his way up. Formerly a second round pick of the Oakland A's. Never made it to the major leagues and he even mentioned uh, that later on in his minor league career, they were keeping him around to basically be a player coach. You are some insurance, but also we want you to mentor some guys. So Joe Espada has lived the life of a baseball player, uh, was born in Puerto Rico, played for the national Puerto Rico team, then moved to Mobile, Alabama, uh, played college ball there, hit over 400, uh, then was drafted in the second round. So Joe Espada has been a baseball lifer. I do want to give a huge shout out to, uh, let me get the name, uh, Jonathan Gelnar. He hosts the uh, Head of the Curve podcast, um, and this is a fantastic insight to Joe Espada. It's an hour and 20 minutes long. Um, we're going to play a couple clips here, but I want to talk first about communication, uh, building uh, trust in the clubhouse. And there was the report earlier this year from Bob Nightingale that there are clicks in the White Sox clubhouse. So if there are clicks, how would you unite a team? How is Joe Espada seen the best way to unite a baseball team? You know what? First starts with trust. And we already touched on that earlier. You know, I think without trust, um, you know, teamwork can be, cannot be built. You know, I think trust uh, allows relationships to work. Um, you know, and also establishing a culture, a culture of trust mm -hmm. and a culture of, of freedom, a sense of freedom within the clubhouse where every, anyone, for everyone can be themselves. Not talking about, you know, not only the players, but also the coaches in the front office. You know, when you walk into our clubhouse here in Houston, there's something that we're taking um, pride on and is our culture. You know, it's our players love to be around each other. They love each mm -hmm. other. They hold each other accountable. Um, so being part of something like that and building something like that is imperative for a team success. Mm -hmm. So you talk, you touch on, you know, you know, the, the different, you know, culture barriers, which, you know, inside our clubhouse, you know, you got the Latino players, you got the American players, you know, and just because, uh, Latino players, uh, speak Spanish doesn't mean that they all are the same and it's not, that's not the case. You know, there is different cultures. You know, a Cuban player um, has different stories uh, than a Venezuelan player. Yeah, they have Spanish in common, but, you know, the Venezuelan player uh, right now um, is going, you know, their country is going through some turmoil when it comes to their, their, you know, their government. So those are personal experiences, personal uh, uh, stories that they share with you that it matters. Because if things are not, their things are not good at home, they're not going to be good 
at the office. You know, Cuban players, someone like Julian, Aletmi Diaz, and, mm-hmm. and uh, Alvarez, you know, how they came from Cuba to the U.S., you know, listening to their stories, understanding their stories, being able to relate with their stories. You know, some days they come in, they have something going on at home, which we really don't understand, but we got to take time to understand where they came from. So not only learning the language, but learning the culture. And I do the same with the American players. I take time getting to know their personal level. So when it's time for me to coach them, uh, there's that human connection that we can vote with, that we could all see eye to eye and bring everything together for a common goal, which is winning a World Series. So Joe Espada saying you need to know every single one of your 26 men personally so you can create that deep bond and that you could all establish a common goal of winning the World Series. Uh, makes a lot of sense, but I think he's a really elegant speaker. What did you guys make of it? Uh, I also think you would have loved the word accountability that he used. Yeah, and what he said is what I was asking for in a couple episodes before this one is knowing the man and coaching the man specifically to his you know, uh, wants, dislikes, all the stuff that you get need to know about the person. Sometimes a kick in the butt, sometimes an arm around the shoulder. And knowing the man, you can actually decipher that, what he needs right now in this context. And it was a great story he told right there, a different type of Spanish-speaking players having different type of uh, moods and things going on at home, how they got over here, like the Cuban story of Jose Abreu, how he got over his harrowing. And he said the American players, too, you don't know what's going on in their lives either. You know, they came from a a different lifestyle than maybe Joe Espada did in Puerto Rico than moving to Alabama. So he can probably relate to a lot of different players by speaking their language literally and figuratively. And I like that that clip right there, which is such a beautiful clip. It seems like he gets it. It seems like throughout his life of playing baseball, all his uh, career, being with the Marlins, being a, a front office assistant with, under Brian Cashman with the Yankees, and now his experience with the Houston has taught him a lot, a lot of uh, uh, a worldly view. And it seems like he has all the things that Rick Hahn was speaking about. Like, literally, I'm looking at that clip and listening to that clip, and I'm listening back to what Rick Hahn said. That's him. That's the guy he was, he was talking about, if I'm going to be given a guess. Joel Spot is the guy he was talking about. It's a it's a uh, an attribute that not all of these managerial candidates are going to have, um, and that's nothing against those guys. Heck, Tony La Russa speaks Spanish. You know, I mean it. it but there's another layer of that communication element, and think how much easier it is for or uh, for um, be it Joe Espada, be it Miguel Cairo to uh, to interact with some of these players. Uh, because you have the cultural understanding to go along with the ability to speak the language, and um, I, I think, I think Tony La Russa is you know was in a better position than a manager who might only speak English. But think w- about what better position some of these other guys are going to be in, being guys who have the cultural understanding to go along with the ability to to, to do the bare minimum, you know, verbal communication. And uh, I think that, in in my opinion. Something like that should put a candidate above some other ones when you're talking. Whether and whether it's Joe Espada who we just heard from, whether it's Miguel Cairo who who uh, is uh, you know uh, showed he was able to to make waves in a positive way in that clubhouse, or some of the other guys that we're going to be talking about today and in the weeks to come. But uh, in my opinion, being able to communicate on not just one but many different levels um, is essential because I would argue that while all the fans 
are going to um, uh, look at managerial responsibilities. What's the most important thing? That they write the lineup that I want to see. Right. That they make the pitching changes that I want to see. The Win, most baby. important thing that a manager does is in is not on the field. It is in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And if you can find somebody who hits all those notes positively and listen. Tony La Russa got good reviews for it, but if you can find somebody that hits them in an even more positive fashion in ways that Tony La Russa just couldn't even, you know, start to be able to do, then you're moving in the positive direction. And some powerful stories, too, that we've thought about in past, you know, White Sox history of managers connecting with players. I think of Rick Renteria going with Tim Anderson uh, in Minnesota to the site of uh, the George Floyd murder um, and just what that meant to Tim and what it meant to the team and having that backing of a manager. And I think that Joe Espada shows that type of leadership. If that was really that important to Tim and he was the manager of the White Sox, it just feels like that would be something that he would go out and, and, and do as well. It just seems like making those personal connections, those behind-the-scenes things are huge for Joe Espada. Um, and part of that, too, was being that minor league coach, being that veteran guy in the minor leagues that never made it up to the major leagues. Um, he said that he learned to put uh, ego aside while he was a manager down in the minor leagues. Um, and that kind of when he was talking, he learned that it's best to let everyone else speak up first. Um, and then I kind of thought about Cairo's late season success of where it seemed like it was Miguel Cairo managing and he was going to let the pitching coach handle the pitchers. The hitter hitting coach handled the hitters. He kind of talked about making sure it was a collaborative effort. It really seems like Joe Espada understands that as well. And we did see some late season success, even though it was a small sample um, from the Sox doing that. Um, the next part I want to go to his background. He worked with the Yankees and the Astros uh, for the past two, uh, since 2015, uh, was hired as the third base coach for the Yankees um, and has been with uh, those two organizations. So what has he learned from the Yankees and Astros and what can he bring to the White Sox if hired? Well, you know, hindsight, you know, you see the talent on the field. You know, let's just not hide that. But, you know, we, really good players, but I always said the talent is not enough. You know, you need more than talent to win World Series and put your, ta- put your team in a position to, you know, uh, get to the World Series. Uh, but there's three things that I, that I, that I saw in New York um, and I saw that and I see here in Houston. And number one always starts with, like, both organizations, they embrace technology, the new ways of how to evaluate players, how to, you know, draft players, how to, you know, use data to help your players become better players. That's one thing they adapted to the new changes in the game, and they do it quickly. Um, the second thing I've seen is um, talent acquisition. But I'm talking about not only on the field, but I'm talking about throughout the whole entire organization. Uh, you know, in the front office, R&D department, minor league coaches, they hire some not only smart people, but people that can connect and understand both sides, you know, both technology and also understand the human side, how you're working, you know, how you're working with, you know, with players. Um, but also these people understand our culture. You know, we bring them in and understand that we are all here for the common goal, which is trying to improve our players trying to do whatever it takes to adjust, especially during adversity, um, and how are we going to make sure that we all stay together uh, and provide the best information for our players, for our coaches, so when we take the field, we all are ready to go. So those are things that I've seen 
that both organizations have done really well. Um, and and a quick, a quick, another quick note, Jonathan, one thing I also uh, wanted to mention about both of these organizations is how throughout the system uh, they provide uh, like uh, coaches with the technology that they need to help their players and help their coaches become better. So, you know, the technologies that we use on the major league level, um, they have it throughout their system. You know, players are able to um, look at video, look at data the same way we look at it in Houston. You know, coaches are have, uh, able to collect information to create their own uh, shift uh, defensive sheets you know what I'm saying so when they get to the major league level they know exactly how we do it and we are all in the same page so those are three things that I I've seen in both uh, New York and Houston that they both do really really well Again, shout out to Ahead of the Curve, the Ahead of the Curve podcast hosted by Jonathan Gelnar. Um, that's where these clips were taken from, the interview with Joe Espada. It's an hour and 20 minutes long. Um, you get great insight to Joe Espada. And the three things that he mentioned, technology, talent acquisition, and then I would also say organizational wide access to technology. And at least seemed like the Sox, even before Espada even came here, like it seemed that Project Birmingham was at least an acknowledgement of let's make sure all of our best prospects are getting the best coaching, the access to our best facility, and the access to the technology. So at least uh, thinking about the th three things that he brought up, it seemed like the Sox are starting to understand that filtration of not only the major leagues guys using all of our great technology, but um, the entire minor leagues being exposed to that. And yeah, in what he said there, those two teams are proactive in technology and the thirst and the hunger for more is undying for those things they stay up on trends and you could say the astros yes use technology to everybody else's detriment and use technology unfairly but that banner hangs for most astros fans that is a thing that is legitimate and so i know he wasn't with them at that time but they do use technology currently to help them do the things that they did yesterday coming back from a big deficit hitting a walk-off home run for your Alvarez that turn that they've turned into a phenomenal designated hitter and a phenomenal power hitter and so if he could bring a, a modicum of that even just the like what I was asking for like they hired Joe Espada and he says hey man the Marlins want me Houston still wants me this team that team or that team wants me for me to come to you Chicago I need to be comfortable from what the stuff I've had access to with Houston. So I need some more R&D. I need some more research. I need some more analytic people. I need to have my coaching staff be my coaching staff. And if that means, be it, Ethan Katz has to go. I am not a fan of that, but I'm always a fan of the head boss who's going to be um, in charge of these players, in charge of that wins and losses, to be in charge of the people who are below him. So it seems like he would bring something else to the table as far as manpower and actual research and development for this team. So we said when they hit the field, they are armed with all the stuff that they need. They can just go out and play baseball. And I think that's a great way of having a manager uh, go about his business every day. 
listen, that you know that he said all the right things there, and like you said, they all line up with what Rick Hahn was talking about. Uh, there's a reason this guy's been high, uh, man, interviewed rather for a lot of managerial openings. Uh, he seems like somebody who is going to get that chance very soon, and if he proves to be the best guy for the job, then absolutely the White Sox are going to find that out. Um, I would encourage folks to not, uh, you know. Uh, uh, equate uh, winning an interview or, or, or winning a press conference with winning a baseball game or winning a World Series. Uh, what was it our, our guy Adam Hogue told you on Twitter? Oh, I don't know. I heard A.J. Przinsky on the radio, and I think he'd be great. <laughs> that doesn't always equal uh, you know the same, the same thing with the resume there, but certainly Joe Espada does have the credentials being around a just incredibly successful organization. I mean, listen – Say anything about the Astros you want. They deserve it, and they earned the, the the negative attention that they continue to get in every road ballpark to this day. But if you were to draw up the kind of success that you would want to have in Major League Baseball uh, in the, the way that um, – Things are currently, you know, going where we don't really have dynasties. We don't really have teams that win a whole bunch of championships in a row. You would draw up what the Houston Astros have done over the last decade. Absolutely. So why not pick from that fleet? Why not pick from uh, that organization? I think it would make sense. Uh, and two, Espada is uh, close with Kevin Long. Kevin Long is currently the uh, hitting coach with the Phillies, but he was hired and brought in on that Joe Girardi staff. So I'm not sure if Rob Thompson wants to st- wants him to stay. I'm not sure if. Kevin Kevin Long wants to stay. Kevin Long, formerly the uh, hitting coach of the Nationals when they won a World Series, former hitting coach of the Mets, uh, and former hitting coach of the Yankees when they won a World Series as well. Uh, Kevin and Long and Espada have a good connection, and uh, there's the story back from last year where Schwarber was with the Nationals, and Kevin Long taught him this certain T-drill, and that's when uh, Schwarber started going off on this run. So I would like to bring in some fresh blood, because I know people have brought in brought up Frank Minichino and what's his status. Um, Joe Espada also might mean Kevin Long, which I would be a huge fan of. So um, I, I do think that if Joe Espada was hired, it might be bringing the Sox in the right direction. A hire like Joe Madden might keep things uh, as the status quo. So I think Espada is a, a vote for the future uh, if, if we're talking, if we're making up uh, campaign slogans here. But I want to let you know about points bet. This football season, points bets bring you a better way to bet live on games. And this means before this ad's over, you can place a live same game parlay bet. You can bet on the next drive to be a touchdown and cash out your live second half over bet. So whether you're on the move or on the couch, do it live on points bet. My pick of the week is Kansas plus nine. I like Kansas to cover nine points against. Oklahoma. Oklahoma's quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, might be out, but even then, I don't think they have enough talent to keep up with Kansas. You might be saying Jalen Daniels, the quarterback for uh, Kansas, might be out, but Jason Beam, his backup, threw for four touchdowns against TCU, and TCU is a better team than Oklahoma. Uh, Just go look at the time when Oklahoma and TCU faced off. So I do like Kansas plus nine. That's your points bet pick of the week. Download the points bet app today and sign up with code CHGO to get two or three bets up to $2,000. And if you or somebody who has a gaming problem wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. And our next partner, Chi-Town Custom Cornhole. If you ever come out to our tailgates, you will see these beautiful boxes that Chi-Town Cornhole have made. You can check them out at chi cornhole.com. They're the number one cornhole provider for the Chicagoland and Illinois area since 2007, and their signature box style can be digitally printed, covered in vinyl, 
and painted. Their cornhole boards also come with built-in drink holders uh, that are recessed in on the back. They have LED lights that light up the holes and handles for easy carrying. You don't have to carry it from like the back, uh, you know, the back spine, right? You have nice little handles to oh, pick it up okay. and carry. Um, so it's very convenient. You can play it at night. And uh, if you're coming out to any of our CHGO tailgates, next one's on November 6th, you'll be able to see the fantastic CHGO cornhole boxes that Chi-Town Cornhole has made for us. They're veteran-owned and operated, and they can ship anywhere and offer local pickups. So check out Chi-Town Cornhole today if you are looking for the next gift in your life. Maybe you got a tailgater that you're looking to set up, uh, maybe for some Illinois football, Chicago football. Um, Check out Chi-Town Cornhole and make sure you get your boxes from there. Night bags. bags. Play little night bags. <laughs> night bags. I, I like it. I like night bags. I, I also feel weird saying cornhole. I like bags is just a it's simpler. It's the Chicago thing, man. Four letters. Bags. Go B-A-G-S. play some bags. Let's go play some bags. Um, all right, let's go into the final thing here. Um, we mentioned Jordan Alvarez and his amazing home run last night. Um, and I had a question on Twitter from our guy Carrie um, Herb uh, from the 108 yeah. uh, and from Believe Southside uh, with him and Steve-O, who was on the, the podcast for a bit. And uh, congratulations to Steve-O and his new wife. All right. He just got married this weekend. There you go. Congratulations to those two. Those two. I didn't even realize they got married or the, that that was their wedding date. So shout out to them. Uh, but I do want to go to Carrie's question. And Carrie said, serious question. If these two teams switched, a.k.a. the Astros and White Sox, would the Sox have the same start of uh, same start of oh, sorry. If these two switched being Jordan Alvarez and Aloy Jimenez, would they have the same type of start to their career as they would have? I fully believe the Sox would have messed up Jordan's development too. Maybe that's just me. Um, This is in response to me posting the 2019 uh, top 100 prospects from LB.com. Aloy Jimenez ranked third. Uh, Jordan Alvarez was ranked, I think it was 44th. So how does Jordan Alvarez become this monster uh, destroying baseballs from the left-handed side? And Jolie Jimenez uh, hasn't really been able to live up to the billing of, you know, possibly a 30 home run hitter. Um, I just wanted to look into this discussion, and we've talked about it before, do the White Sox screw up development? Um, There are numbers popping in your screen, but I'll just throw it off to Herb first. Um, When you look at this, and at least you look at the Jordan versus Aloy situation, what do you make of the Sox and development? I think the White Sox development is not great, but the Jordan Alvarez Jimenez thing, I think the only thing that holds Jimenez back is health. That's literally the only thing, well, his glove, but his health. Like, they would both be designated hitters in my lineup, and I think they would both hit 40-plus home runs in my lineup. I don't think the Sox development on Loy Jimenez has been bad, except for him not either listening to them say don't be running to people or don't slide or don't jump. And him up until this point, I mean, up until the second half, not wanting to be a designated hitter. Now, I think he still doesn't want to be it. I think he, in this offseason, had to do some soul searching. If he's back with the White Sox, we'll know that he has to be a designated hitter. So for that individual matchup, I just think Aloy's health is the problem. As far as Getting to the major leagues, having the player established in the minor leagues as a number three prospect overall, uh, whatever Luis Robert was, and from them being major league players, there's been very little growth. Tim Anderson, from the player he started off as a major league player to the player he is now, amazing growth. Same thing with Dylan Cease, amazing growth. Luis Robert, you could put the health thing in there too, but there's been times that we said it yesterday. He was a gold glover in 2020. He was not close to the gold glove guy that showed up in 2020 this year in 2022. His jumps were worse. His uh, sprint speed was worse. He doesn't catch as many balls as he did back then. That was just two years ago. Have the injuries caught up with him that much? 
or is he just not developing into the player that we both think he is and Vinny thinks he's going to be? That's a problem. That's a problem with a lot of these White Sox players where they don't hit their potential. Yoan Moncada, 2019, was going to shoot for the moon. And the 2021 season was a great season, but it wasn't like the ascension that White Sox fans wanted to see. And so they're like, okay, he's doing this plateau. He's not going anywhere. And he's going to fall off the cliff, which he did this year. So that development hasn't happened either. You could see the Michael Kopech development. They've done very well by him. So it's a mixed bag with the White Sox. Now, Houston, you saw all those players. Kyle Tucker was a highly rigged prospect. He's come up and done the job. Jordan Alvarez, highly rigged prospect, come up and done the job. For the most part, their guys come up and they do a great job. And if they don't, they, they're quick to get rid of them. Like, yeah. immediately. Like, okay, this guy's not good. Well, get him out of here uh, immediately. And let me go through the rankings here. Uh, both of them had six prospects in the top 100. Uh, for the White Sox, it was Aloy 3rd, Michael Kopech 18th, Dylan Cease 21st, Luis Robert 40th, Nick Madrigal 47th, Dane Dunning 80th. Average rank for those six players, 34.8. For the Astros, Forrest Whitley was the 7th-ranked prospect, Kyle Tucker the 8th-ranked prospect, Jordan Alvarez the 4th-ranked prospect, Josh James, the 62nd-ranked prospect, Corbin Martin, the 81st-ranked prospect, and J.B. Bukowskis, the 97th-ranked prospect. Average ranking of 49.8 there. And you look at the career wars, those six players for the White Sox have combined for 26.1 war. Uh, that is counting just the seasons that Madrigal and Dunning have played for the Sox. Uh, and then for the Astros side, 25.4 war. So, And really, the two players that have played for them are Kyle Tucker and Alvarez. I mean, those are the two that are making up that those numbers right there, who have been able to stay healthy, both Alvarez and, and Tucker. And so maybe that's the main too. thing. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's a, there's a – this is a very – Right. Odd question to, to answer. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know if this question can be answered, or let's put it this way. I don't know if the uh, what the person who asked this question, I don't know if that can be gleaned from just looking at this information because, A, the, those White Sox guys, the two, three of the, those White Sox guys, Robert, Jimenez, and Kopech, just, I mean, ravaged by injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, though, incomplete. You know what I mean? Like, Jordan Alvarez is is Jordan Alvarez. That's awesome for him, and that's great. And you can make that a ju- ju- uh, that judgment now. Uh, we're not at a point where we can determine whether the Aloy Jimenez uh, experiment worked or the Luis Robert experiment worked. Really, any of those guys, uh, the jury is still out, uh, and I don't know if that's the case with uh, at least uh, Jordan Alvarez. Uh, maybe a little more so with Kyle Tucker, who's younger and and has a lot more time left ahead of him Um, but also uh, you showed the White Sox side of that column all of those guys are major league starters Uh, on the Astros side of those columns uh, four of those six players are nothing right and so uh, for the two best players out of everybody on this board to be Astros that's very true but uh, the third through ninth best players on this board are all White Sox, and everybody else you can just forget about, kind of third, third through eighth, whatever. But um, and so that's what I would say. I would point uh, point to that as I don't know if we can answer this question, or or I don't know if we can figure out anything about how good or bad the White Sox are at play, major league player development based on solely the, uh, this information. I will say this: 
Jordan Alvarez is very good. Kyle Tucker is very good. The Astros are very good. The White Sox have uh, a lot of guys who get injured all the time and need to stop right. doing that so they can hopefully, in the eyes of the organization and their fans, be good. Well, yeah, and maybe that's the thing is, you know, you switch spots and maybe the injury luck is better for Luis Robert in Houston or maybe it stays the the absolute same. And, you know, we look at the postseason press conference for Rick Hahn, That was one of the things that he got somewhat specific on was how they're trying to build out that uh, that that uh, rehab uh, department of their 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 organization the injury and health uh, organization part uh, they're trying to build it out and and make sure it's uh, you know more conducive to keeping these players healthy so maybe it is just health um, in that um, just Jordan versus uh, Aloy though um, Jordan has played 251 games at DH uh, and 107 games in left field uh, Aloy has played 77 games at DH and 235 games in the outfield um, so I would like to just burn Aloy's glove um, they did that basically with Jordan and Jordan even last night had a great throw from left field. So, I mean, he's still out there playing well when he's out there. I mean, Aloy just doesn't really show that. I mean, uh, Jordan just might be the better player. Um, but to go into some of the things that you brought up too, Vinny, um, Forrest Whitley, injured, hasn't made a start for the Astros ever. Josh James has been up and down between the minor leagues and major leagues, still in their organization. Like a bullpen arm, though, too. Um, yeah, he's a bullpen arm. And then Corbin Martin and J.B. Bukowskis, the two last names on there, they were turned into Zach Granke for 5.2 war, but you look at Nick Magical and Dane Dunning, that was turned into Lance Lynn. That was then also turned into uh, Craig Kimbrell. That was turned into A.J. Pollock. So if you take Lynn, Kimbrell, and Pollock, that's 6.7 more. So the two players that the Astros traded, 5.2 more. The two players that the Sox traded, 6.7 more. So they've been able to get something out of these guys. It's just mainly, um, you know, keeping these guys healthy. So maybe that's the turnaround in 2023. If Robert's healthy, if Michael Kopech's healthy, and Aloy Jimenez is healthy, maybe that means big, big things for the White Sox in 2023. So um, I guarantee that if all three of those guys are healthy, the White Sox are a playoff team. It's a hard guarantee, though. That's, a, that's an easy guarantee. Herb Nameth, you, you want to easy. trade Aloy Jimenez because you're not sure if he's going to stay healthy. And you just guarantee me that Lloyd's going to be healthy along with Luis Robert and Michael Kopech. I'm in. You're confused. That's the pro- that's the problem. But will Jesse Winker be healthy? Ah, that's he'll, the question. He'll be healthy in some other city. If, hey, if you tell me the Lloyd's going to play 150, I ain't trading him ever. Ever. If you play him at DH, you might. Um, that's Vinny Duber. You can follow him on Twitter, at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. He's got a brand new article published on allchgo.com, so make sure you check that out. You can go a little bit more in-depth on what the Sox are looking for at manager in 2023. That's Herb Lawrence. You can follow him on Twitter, at Eckerwall23. He's our CHGO White Sox community leader. And I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter, at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. I'm the host of the CHGO White Sox podcast. Thank you to everybody for hanging out with us in the chat. Thank you to Jonathan Gelnar for giving us the access to that inf- uh, that interview with Joe Espada. Uh, very excited to play that stuff for you guys so you can at least get an idea of what Joe Espada is like. He manager- he interviewed today uh, down in Houston for that job, so we'll see uh, if any news follows from that. We will be with you tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eli's in the house. And Eli's in the house. Shout out to Eli. Uh, thank you, everybody, and thank you to Stephen Nicholas for producing the show. We'll talk to you tomorrow.